Almighty God, you who are Lord of all, through whom all this vast world has been created in its complexity and intricate design and awesome splendor and wonder that everyone has to acknowledge produces awe in us, much less the creator of all these things. And to think that even these pitiful words reach not only your ears, but your heart because of what Jesus has done to open a way <clears throat> for us to enter your very throne room. Lord, this morning, we want to enter your presence with adoration, with worship, with confessing our weakness where we have been distracted and failed and, and turned aside to pitiful substitutes this past week instead of depending upon you alone. Father, we want to repent of these things and, and to be rather like a tree by the living waters. We want to drink deep of this water of your living word. We pray that it would meet the deep needs of our heart and bring fruit in our lives to your glory and to your praise. Lord, you have heard this morning the many needs, those who are facing life-threatening disease and illness, those who are facing discouragement and struggles of many different kinds, those who are still not availing themselves of this grace that you've given for whatever lies and excuses that Satan has concocted. We pray that the light of your truth would dispel those lies and they could enter in while there is time because we know the time is short. And Father, we just pray for this, this word that would be read for your spirit to work freely in everyone's heart and that you'd be able to work despite the weakness of your servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn together to the uh, first epistle of Corinthians, the first epistle of Paul to Corinth. First Corinthians, that's the first letter we have after Romans. <clears throat> and the uh, Lord's inspired me to to begin meditating on, on this amazing um, uh, word that, uh, and book that we've been given. This is chapter one, chapter one of the book of Corinthians. You'll re as you're looking for, you'll remember that Corinth was um, one of the first um, after we had that amazing uh, sermon on, the, on Athens in Greece, Paul went to Corinth. He was spent about uh, 18 months, a year and a half, according to Acts 18, in Corinth. And uh, he started working first with the, the Jewish people there, and, and he finally proclaimed openly the word of God to them, and they rejected it. And so he felt he needed to go on to the Gentiles, and there's a lot of furor there, um, and he, but he spent that time because God specifically said, I have much people in this city. 
And this is actually the second letter. We're going to read in that he said that there's, he's answering questions from a first uh, letter that he had written to them. So this is the second letter that he's writing to them. They're close to his heart because he spent not much time. Let's read together. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. <clears throat> Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you become behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Apollo, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And where is the wise? And where is the scribe? And where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that belief. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer. Our loving and great God in heaven, we come once again before thee in this, your sanctuary, where we want to praise you, where we want to worship you, We want to sit at your feet for learning, not at the feet of men, but at the feet of God, because your Holy Spirit moves the messenger, and your Holy Spirit is the one that will teach us all things, as Jesus said before he left his disciples. O Father in heaven, we pray that we would all be open to that Holy Spirit, we would all be open to the word which is sown, as we learned on Wednesday. That as the seed goes forth, as the sower goes forth, it is sown everywhere. God is not a respecter of persons. And Lord, we just pray that it is one seed. There are many sowers, but that the seed would fall on good ground, on hearts that are prepared, on hearts that are willing to receive, and on hearts that will respond to your word. Lord, how many times have we heard and read that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? It is not the wisdom of men. It is not of how much we know. But it is what we do with what we do know. And Lord, we have read and heard in this chapter that the wisdom of men comes to naught. The Greeks seek for wisdom and the Jews seek for a sign. But as we heard also in the recent past, that there is no other sign given unto the unbelieving Jews except for the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, in the fish's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that he rose again gloriously and majestically and by the power and the Spirit of God overcoming death, overcoming sin, overcoming his enemies and his foes. And he has promised that if I live, ye shall live also. And that all that come to him that drink of his blood and partake of his body, his bread, we pray that many more would thirst and hunger after this, to become one with Jesus Christ, to become his brother in Christ, to become a child of the living God. 
Oh Lord, we pray our hearts go out to those many that have been attending for such a long time, to those that are still vacillating, still contemplating which direction to take. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be their teacher. We pray that your Holy Spirit, as was spoken of by the Lord himself, will convict the world because of sin and will convict the world because of righteousness and men would receive him and believe and accept his salvation. Lord, we pray that as we have prayed for those that are here and those that are online and listening, we pray that men, all men everywhere, as your word says, as the Apostle Paul said, as the brother spoke of his time in Athens, there was a time when God once winked at our ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so, Father in heaven, we pray that many more sons will be brought to your glory and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Father, we are mindful for those that are sick, for those that have been chronically ill. And we pray that you would be with them and you would comfort them and strengthen them and help them and heal them. We pray for Lilia Vukov. We pray for Olga Ordog, Sister Olga. We pray for Sister Elizabeth, who is now uh, awaiting surgery, a long one and perhaps critical. Perhaps we pray, Father, we pray that you would be with her and comfort her, ease her uh, apprehensions and fears and give her the grace and strength and to heal her. We pray <clears throat> for the many that are still in different churches and different regions that are also sick, that we had prayed for so many years and so many months, that you would visit them, comfort them, and strengthen them. And Lord, that you would use us, that we would be willing to be your hands and your feet and to go and comfort, strengthen, up, uplift. We pray for the widows, for the orphans. We pray for Sister Margaret Nagy also, who's not only a widow, but also facing surgery. We pray that you would be with her and comfort and strengthen her as well and heal her. Father in heaven, we pray for <clears throat> the, the government. Lord, this world is just turned to chaos. Everywhere we look, in every country, arms are being built up. The, the rattles of war are being heard. There is restlessness. There is, there is striving for position. There is all kinds of unrest Lord, we pray that we who are called by your name would not be so easily agitated as the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, that we would realize that these things will and must come to pass, and that we realize that you, O oh Lord, will withhold until your hand is removed to allow your plan for the consummation of mankind to occur. Father, we pray that we would be leaning to you for comfort, for strength, for peace, for assurance, and not only leaning but praising thee and worshipping thee until the time that the bridegroom will come again to claim his own. And Lord, what a beautiful cry that will be when your people, who are called by your name, approach you and welcome 
the Messiah, the Christ, the living Christ. And they hear the words, Come, ye blessed of my Father, enter the joy that is prepared for you before the foundation of the world. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And we'll be reunited with our loved ones. Oh Lord, what a glorious day that will be. And we pray that everyone here in this room and everyone here that is within hearing distance will turn to you and seek you and seek to glorify your face and await for his glorious coming where he seeks to meet his church, the bride that is without spot, without wrinkle, that is dressed in her wedding garments to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us now as we will listen to your word. Be with our dear brother as he will expound it and help us to open our hearts and give you the glory for all the things that you have done for us and to us. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Lord, laid on my heart that it would be fruitful for us to study this, this book together. Corinth is a city of the world. It's a city that we could probably relate to. It's very prosperous. It was kind of situated kind of right between the two seas. It was, it was a shortcut. Uh, just kind of like the Panama Canal of the Macedonians where you could get from one side of Greece to the others by coming in through this bay, hauling your ships over this short uh, isthmus and over to the other side and save yourself a lot of sailing. And of course, you know, while you're there, there's lots of opportunities to buy and sell things. Um, so Corinth was prosperous. It was immoral. We, we, we read together how you know, because of the worship there of the temples, there was a lot of prostitution and, and the people even in church were kind of confused about uh, sexual purity. And Paul had to address questions about that. He had to address questions. There's confusion about uh, church discipline and, that, and, and sin and, and calling sin, sin and disciplining sin in the church. There was confusion about how to deal with this unity as we already started reading here and there was divisions and and paul is really calling them out on on that as being showing that they're really not spiritually mature and there's issues like how do we deal with all our past and our associations with idolatry and some people feel that this is sin and other people know it's not and and how do we deal with these different cultural sensitivities how do we how do we handle those kinds of things? What, what about the difference between men and women and worship and, and, and head coverings and, and what is the meaning and, and proper way to do uh, to serve uh, the Lord's Supper? And then uh, spiritual gifts and, and what's the purpose of those and, and what about all these kind of um, 
they seem to kind of make a big deal out of the, the gifts and, and kind of bragging about these things. And then the resurrection and, and, and how that was even questioned, even though it's foundational to Christianity. So there's, there, this church was dealing with real issues uh, between themselves, between them and their surroundings. They, were, they had some lack of spiritual maturity in areas, even though they had some great giftings in others. And they were also an educated church. They were an affluent church. So maybe like a, a Toronto of Canada, right? Where you have perhaps more educated people, more affluent people because, well, you can't afford a house otherwise. And uh, you've got you know, people that are surrounded by very worldly standards uh, where the culture tells you that it's all okay, even though it's not, according to God. And there's a lot of confusion about what's right and wrong as a result of what you're surrounded with. So in some ways, we can relate to this church in the environment they're in, and we can learn and apply these things to ourselves. So we start with an introduction. Uh, Paul's not a stranger to this church as he was to maybe Rome where he'd never been before. He had spent a year and a half here. He knew these people. He knew names. And he starts off saying, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. I'm going to stop on the second word. Paul, who is called... Now, this word called shows up a few times in this chapter. And perhaps it's one of the confusing um, and controversial things um, that were addressed here. Because it, it, the question is, you know, does God pick who he wants to be saved? Or is it open to all and, and we pick God? Or how does this work? Uh, right now, we're not talking about salvation. Paul is being called to a job that God has given him. It's God's will that he should be an apostle, someone who is sent out. Not everyone who was sent out is an apostle. There were uh, those chosen by Jesus. And uh, we know the, the 12 disciples who became the 12, 11 apostles when Jesus sent them out into the world, and then Matthias took the places of Judas. But Paul, even though he wasn't there, he says he's like almost somebody who's like born out of the right time, out of due time, and, and yet he is being called. He had this amazing experience in Arabia for years where Jesus himself showed up to him. Jesus revealed things to him. He saw the you know, third heaven and, 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 and incredible things that he's, he has been given, not just like, oh, so I'm special, and we're going to deal with that. The Second Corinthians 12 is not about that. It was because God was inviting him. That's the Greek word behind called kaleo, which is to invite, to call, to come and fulfill the very purpose of God, right? And that purpose for Paul was not for him to have a comfortable life. He did not but for him to be sent and to preach the gospel as we, he expands on here. It's the will of God. 
And this same word called is going to apply to the church in Corinth. And it's going to apply to you this morning if you are hearing God's word. And Sosthenes, our brother, this isn't the first time we hear Sosthenes. Paul is probably in Ephesus. That was kind of his, on his third journey, that's where he kind of spent time, it became his base of operations. And he probably got this letter, uh, the questions that the Corinthians had because they were dealing with stuff. And he's writing it back. And he's had some people come from Greece across the sea there to ask him questions. Obviously, the house of Chloe, they brought some issues. And that's kind of what he's dealing with here for these three chapters. You'll see kind of brackets where he raises a question, gets into some deep spiritual principle that answers the question and then he comes back and answers the question right so verse 10 here he's or he's going to 11 he's talking about division you're going to go talk about anyways i'm jumping ahead sosthenes sosthenes we read about him in acts when he was um paul was uh had left the jews and the he was also his practice he first went to the synagogue, he brought the word of God to them, they rejected, he then went to the Gentiles. And of course the Jews thought they were gonna get even as they had done in many times, you know, he had just run from Thessalonica where there was an uproar stirred up by the Jews, you know, and then he went to Berea, they chased him there, then he went to Athens, so on, and that was after being chased out of Philippi, right? So this was a pattern. <clears throat> and, uh, but Sosthenes, was the head of the synagogue. It's kind of interesting when you read in 1 Corinthians 18 because Crispus, and we see he's the, the one who got baptized by Paul, he was the head of the synagogue and Paul had spent time reasoning about scriptures and then when they rejected, when he kind of openly declared Jesus, Crispus, the head of the synagogue, went with him and then this, the Jews stir up a mob, they bring him, they think we're going to use the law against you and we're going to bring him before Gallio, the, the governor, to get him kind of banished because he's... He's a troublemaker. And there's a new head of the synagogue. His name is Sosthenes. So it would appear he's like the, the ringleader against Paul, right? And he gets beaten by the Greeks because they don't care, you know, just leave your Jewish questions alone. We don't care about these words and religious questions. And now Sosthenes is Paul's right-hand man writing this letter back. So obviously Sosthenes must have converted and, and that's an incredible thing where God can take people who you think are the very last people that will ever respond to the word of God. People you think are, are, are you know, you're, they're, they're enemies of God. Paul was an enemy of God, right? Paul was the one who was, you know, rapidly chasing down Christians and, you know, getting them killed and imprisoned and didn't care if they're women or children. And now here he is being the one who wrote most of the New Testament and is proclaiming and an apostle called by the will of God. And here's Sosthenes who again was persecuting Paul and stopping the word of God and he has got his name here in the very first verse, right? I remember, uh, you know, being young um, in the 
person I thought was the last person who was ever going to become a Christian. His name was Terry Hawkins. He, he beat me up on the way home from kindergarten. He stole stuff from my garage. He would you know, raid our cherry trees when uh, we went to camp. And he, he was in trouble with the law. I mean, it was a big deal back then for my innocent uh, days that he was smoking and in drugs. And, and, uh, and, but, you know, yet he, you know, God took him and he became my brother in Christ. It was like, what, you know? But so, the, so what we're saying here is there may be people in your life you're saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to share the word of God with him or that person's beyond hope. That person is, is someone who's so rabidly anti-Christian. I dare not. He, they're so woke. They're so, you know, y- you need to see that God can take anyone and convert them, and don't, they're not beyond the power of God. So, on to the second verse here. And feel free to follow along uh, as, as we kind of study here. Um, it's good for us to know God's Word, to, and to, to actually, for me at least, if I read it, it helps me remember it, as opposed to just kind of hearing. It, it, it reinforces it. So he's writing on to the church, this is a thing in today's day and age that, you know, we're all individuals. It's the right of the individual. And, and we don't realize that God's working in the Bible isn't just about individuals. He works with individuals. He's, he's got a, a plan for individuals as he's planned for Paul. But he's got a plan for those individuals to be part of a community. And that he didn't equip and he's going to get into that in chapter 12, he doesn't equip you to be a standalone Christian hero out there, you know, being the influencer or whatever, that, you know, look at me, I got it all together. No, he, he equipped you to be part of an interdependent community where together you met each other's needs and together you reflected Christ and grew together into the stature of Jesus Christ, we read in Ephesians 4. It was always interesting when I read that in, 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 in another language because the verb endings say, oh, this isn't something that I can do. It's only something that we can do, right? It's the, uh, that uh, second person plural ending that says only together we can grow into the stature of Jesus Christ. And this is the church that is the assembly, the called out ones, ecclesia, right? Same verb here, actually. We're called here to, to be together and for us to help each other. And let's not be swept by the independent North American mindset is that I got enough money, I don't need you, or I, you know, I, I'm smart enough, I don't need you. No. That's not how God made you. It's not, he, he made the church for a reason because anybody, I don't care if you're a minister or elder or whoever, you need the body because you're only one member. You are not the body. So he's writing to this church. We talked about it's here at this metropolis of Corinth. To them who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Here's this word, saints and sanctified. You know, saints, we unfortunately get this idea, you know, perhaps for the Catholic concept that, you know, saints are these perfect people 
that you know, uh, lived amazing lives, did miracles, and didn't do anything wrong, and therefore they deserve to be called saints and revered, and maybe they got special clout with God, and we can like pray to them instead of God. That's definitely anti-scriptural. These people at Corinth are being called saints, and they're actually called to be saints, just like Paul was called. And they are sanctified, which is kind of the same verb here. They are made holy. They are made, the word is actually awful, which it doesn't mean awful. In English, it's something that bad. But awful is something that is full of awe. When you see, when I see the Grand Canyon, I am full of awe. When I see, you know, you know, Moraine Lake, or when I see the stars from Algonquin, it fills me with awe. I see something that is awe-inspiring. And you, as part of the church, and especially as part of the church, are intended to inspire awe in the people that look at you because you're perfect. Not necessarily because, like, uh, the next 16 chapters talk about how Corinth is not perfect. Chapter 3 says, you are carnal. You have problems. You are not mature. You are doing bad things. You're allowing sin. You're suing each other. You're, you're making a desecration of, of the whole Holy Supper. You've got problems. But even so, they were distinct from the corrupt society. They were something that in the love and in the separation and in the calling that God had called them to be something far more than they were, called to be saints, right? And, and, and now you and I are invited to leave our, you know, little scripts that postmoderns have left us, you know, I'm all about me and me feeling good and, and what, how, what I can do today to feel better and self-care and all this petty, personal, narcissistic pursuits. And you're called now to bring glory to God. Not as in, I bring glory to God, but as we, as a church, bring glory to God, as we show love and commitment and sacrifice and, and uh, care and transparency and humility and, and, and be disciplined and discipline and exhort one another as a community. It's like the rest of says, wow, this is different, especially like you got Greeks, you got Romans, you got Jews in this church, you got all these different ethnicities. They're all, you know, fracture lines we can see. And yet, you love each other. You don't divide along the world's lines. You don't divide along, you know, gender and, and every, uh, you know, racial class, ethnic, economic class. You're, you actually integrate and you allow your differences to make you stronger. Just like the human body, as he's going to get into chapter 12. The differences make you stronger. It's good that these thumb and finger oppose each other. If they all were the same orientation, they would be half as useful, right? It's good I got two hands. It's good that, you know, my eyes are not doing the same thing as my ears because wouldn't be half as effective or not even half. 
So, we are called to be something inspiring as we become like God. Because God, it's not something we are embarrassed, oh, God's a trinity, but I can't explain that, so I'm not going to talk about that. No, it's important that God's a trinity. God is more than one person because that those three people in the person in in the godhead have been loving and serving and complimenting and submitting to one another for eternity past and it's only in relationship not an independent power but in relationship that we become most like the godhead that's important you cannot become like God alone. And there's a reason why it's not good for man to be alone or woman. And it's good, not good, for us to go off alone or be independent. We should not become dependent. You know, poor me, take care of me. We want a child to grow up to contribute. But not that they are independent and I don't need you anymore, but that we help each other. And in that sense, we become like God. <clears throat> With all, we are called, the Corinthians were called to become holier, a process in Christ Jesus, because it's not something, it's not a self-help group. It's not that you follow these steps and you become holier and you clean up your act because you've you know what to do you know what to tell yourself you know how to psych yourself out no it's in christ jesus that you can become more like christ jesus it's as he works in you you can become more like him and you can become more holy separate clean distinct from all the chaos and corruption around you but this isn't available just to those in Corinth. It's that in every place and in every time, all, you're reading with me on verse 2, right? All that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then both theirs and ours. So, is this something that God does eeny, miny, mo, who he calls? Or is this that God responds to those who recognize their need and call upon, I'm making a desperate plea and I'm asking for help in, 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 in a humbling, you know, I cry out to the living God. And I call upon Jesus Christ not just as come save me, but as my Lord. I call upon Jesus Christ, our Lord, important because he is our Lord. He's Paul's Lord. He's the Corinthians Lord. He's the Lord of everyone that calls upon him and takes him as Lord. And it's in him we integrate and we become one body. 
So it's not like, okay, I want to live my life. Right now I'm hitting a rust patch. Come save me so I can keep going and living my life. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble. Maybe I have a medical emergency. Come hey, help me. But I'm just going to keep living my life after that. Or, you know, I need, I'm in financial straits. Or, I'm, you know, I've got a crisis, work, school, or whatever, you know, relationships. Come save my, out of my crisis, and then I go live my life. That's not, God is not a spare tire you pull out when you've got a flat and then you throw it back in the trunk again, right? He is to become the Lord. He's supposed to be on the steering wheel. So when we call upon God, it's not to patch things up. It's to transfer the control of our lives from me to our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then, as I call upon the Lord, he calls me to become a saint, to become holy, to become part of this community, to become greater, to become something that he actually lifts up as a trophy, not only to the watching world, but to the watching heavenlies and spiritual dimension where he can say to Satan, hey, look at my, my servant, check him out. You know, he actually has his reputation among the spiritual beings riding on me. It's kind of scary. And you and us. Because he takes us as his children. And he becomes vulnerable in that way. Not only on the cross, but even right now. Let's finish the introduction here. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We know that it's something that we are given that we don't deserve, but it's also God's enabling power. And so he's gonna talk about that. He thanks God, and you'll see this in Paul's letter. He is he must have had a very long prayer list because he thanks God, I did it once. And he thanks God always in every prayer of mine, as he says in other ones, uh, other chapters, on your behalf because I see God doing something in your life. I see God actually showing up and his power and grace here is not just his forgiveness, but his power to Follow the call to be more than, not to just continue to wallow, but I'm Jesus's now, but to actually be sanctified, to be empowered, to live differently, to be a glory to God. And we see that you are enriched by God. You are given gifts. And it's interesting which verse gifts here, because, you know, they're given utterance. They can speak well. They're given knowledge, fits with their Greek uh, things they've got some other things they're not so gifted in and we're going to get into that in the next chapters but they are given gifts and they are enriched and they are a testimony they are a witness they are a public confirmation of that that Christ is present and they're they're doing great and they are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back as they are not behind in any gift. And God is faithful by whom each one of you and each one of them were called into 
the fellowship, koinonia, fellowship. Once again, we are called to have this close-knit communion with each other. And when Satan comes in with gossip, with division, and we're going to, that's the very next verse, we'll deal with that next time, that he's trying to separate you. As, as Brother Doug you know, repeated, you know, taking that coal away from the flame to make you individual, to make you independent, so that Satan can divide and conquer. But as you are come together in close-knit communion, which means you've got to be vulnerable, you've got to admit your problems, you've got to admit you need help, you've got to be willing to give up your own comfort to get involved in other people's lives, and it's messy, it takes commitment, it's not just a one-time thing, you've got to, you know, stick it, stick it out. It's, it's messy relationships, but that's where the glory of God is shown, and that's what God's calling us to glorify him as saints together as we become interdependent in that way. And God is faithful because you think, oh, I can't do this. I, I, I can't be there. I can't follow through. I can't be all these things to all these people, and, and, and it's too much. But God is the one who's faithful. And God is the one who's not going to let you down as he works through you. You don't have to be the hero. God is the hero. You have to be a finger on the body and do what he asks you to do. And God is faithful, who will not, uh, he will, whose grace is sufficient, as we read in chapter 12 of this book. There's so much that we can, can learn as we look into uh, God's living word. Every verse, as you can see, two verses took a half an hour. Every verse is so packed. And as we open our hearts, we can be enriched and allow him to make us saints to the watching world and heavenlies for his glory. May each of one of you respond to that call. With that, we would conclude the service. We've heard this morning a very detailed exposition in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I pray that this exposition will continue because the more you look into the Word of God, the more deeper you go, the more uh, our roots go down deeper to be a strong tree bringing forth much fruit. And I'm always brought back to a verse in the book of Isaiah, as I mentioned in the past many times. Isaiah, to me, was the John the Evangelist of the Old Testament, the way he talks, the, the images he gives, the truths he proclaims. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, it says, <clears throat> he's, he's speaking about the restored kingdom of God. And let's start reading at verse 4. Say to them that are fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap up as in heart, and the tongue of the, dung, of the, of the dumb sing. 
For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall there be and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those that, though the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. We heard this morning from the book of Corinthians chapter 1 that God has not called the wise, the noble. He says, look around you, brothers. He said, look around you. Look, this is your case in point. How many amongst you are educated and, and have these degrees in philosophy and, and these noble callings in life? Not many. But God has chosen the weak things, the base things of this world to confound the wise. And it says, not even a fool will err if he listens to the pure, simple gospel message of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that salvation is not a complicated thing. It's a hard thing for many because it's hard to give up the things of the flesh. The, the instructions are simple. The instructions are easy to understand. The question is, am I committed to follow those instructions? Or am I willing to dabble a little bit more in the world, experiment here and experiment there, to see if there is anything really out there that maybe I can satisfy myself with before I give my life to Jesus Christ. The wayfaring man, though fools, shall not err if they just heed the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. May the Lord bless the word that we've heard this morning. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.